What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Leadership Evolve podcast, where each week we're going to dig for modern insights and knowledge to help one lead a better life, both at work and at home. I'm super excited for today's guest because he's actually joining us all the way from Cape Town, South Africa. The best way to describe him is he's a facilitator of change and someone that has a deep, deep understanding of digital media. Uh, What he has done is he has taken his passion for helping and elevating others and combined it with his expertise to create TreeShake. This is an organization he founded back in 2014 that advises and guides some of the world's biggest change campaigns, organizations that are primarily focused on creating social and humanitarian change. In addition to that, he has been part of the World Economic Forum's Young Global Leader Program. He is the chairman of the Reach Trust Foundation and a true educator at heart who has featured on executive programs across the world. And in the U.S., he's currently involved with Duke's corporate executive program. Lastly, definitely not least, he is a speaker and has been featured on TEDx multiple times. Uh, If you do get a chance after this, please go check it out. Lots of insightful, but more important and practical um, insight that you can use tomorrow. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation because he really made me think, and and this is only less than an hour, uh, and I think when someone's perspective makes you do a double take on whatever you thought from whatever subject, I think then that is extremely, extremely valuable. So I hope you guys enjoy it, and please give it up for Dave Duarte. You know, one of the things that I immediately came across when I when I uh, saw you is all the different hats you wear and all the different roles that you do. And for me, when I can't categorize someone into one box, uh, my curiosity spikes. Um, and I would love to hear from yourself all the different hats that you have worn in the past and all the specific roles that you're involved in right now. Ah, oh, thanks, Adi. That's great. Well, uh, right now I'm I'm focusing on TreeShake, uh, which is my startup communications company, and uh, I've also I'm chairman of a nonprofit called the Reach Trust. That's very tech driven. Uh, it acquired the largest. It, it acquired something like WhatsApp in South Africa. It was the largest mobile based chat network, and it redeployed that technology to public services. So uh, those are the two things that are keeping me busy. Uh, TreeShake, I find. Utterly fascinating, uh, which I'm, uh, I believe we're going to talk about a little bit later. But my journey has been long and windy to get here. And I'm glad that you find it interesting because I do too, mainly because it's been, <laughs> mainly because it's been a journey to work out what the hell I do myself uh, over the last 50 years or so. Um, no, it, 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 in all seriousness, I got really lucky. I, I've always been into networking and people. So my first formal career move was uh, being a party organizer at nightclubs. And I was lucky enough to get hired by a company that had offices in Silicon Valley and Cape Town, Dually, uh, as a sales guy. And that introduced me to social media in like 2005. So I was just Besides the fact that I was an event organizer, I got lucky. I got hired into a social media company and I had to learn SEO. And that was a really differentiated skill set. And I combined them by organizing uh, blogger meetups in 2005 and 2006. It was a really emerging scene. 
and that just put me in the place of being like the most connected dude in the scene or one of the most connected dudes in the scene in southern africa and that it turns out is a fantastic place to be when you want to kick off your career and um, it led me into academia uh, where i was a program director at a local business school and through the global business school networks because uh, it was a very well-ranked business school uct graduate school of business like top 50 in the world for exec ed that all the business schools connect with each other and so i got guest speaking slots around the world and that got me traveling in my early 20s giving like you know facilitating workshops and executive sessions around the world and um i co-founded an agency uh one of that i think probably africa's first dedicated social media agency also really lucky blew up around the timing i had a business partner who was a legend at business um and i could get on with the fun stuff on wow. social networking and blogging and setting up sites yeah man so it's been it's been really diverse and to be honest i've had too much going on for too long and <laughs> Um, <laughs> it was actually like a few years ago, I made a dedicated decision to just focus. And that's, and that's why I feel really privileged to just be doing Trishek. Uh, it's something that I love. It's absolutely the work that I've crafted for myself and that I choose to do with my life right now. But it seems like uh, what has attributed to your success and where you are today is the fact that you were so open to doing so many different things. Uh, do you find it weird now that you have to, that you want to focus now, but you know, from what I'm hearing, it seems like one thing led to another. Um, and that kind of, if I had to observe it and, and judge it, I would say that has led to your success. Um, to you, you know, if we have to now define, say, your leadership philosophy, what would you, what aspect of it would you credit to, you know, where you are today yeah. and how you lead your team at, at Trishake? Yeah, man. well, look, on, on that, um, it was. It wasn't so much a mindful decision, you know, that that was going to be my path to success. Honestly, I was more running away from failure than seeing <laughs> success on one point because uh, because it was always like I felt like if I didn't jump on every opportunity that was presented to me, that I would fall behind. Mm -hmm. And so I was driven by this massive FOMO, and I felt like I needed to carry on driving to keep up with the amazing people that I knew. And that, as it turned out, did actually end up uh, becoming a philosophy and that I have used to guide myself in everything that I do. And that philosophy I've summed up in the phrase connect to change, connect to change, which basically means that if you want to change yourself, change the people you surround yourself with. Uh, if you want to change the world, it's a factor of bringing together the right people to do that. If you want your business to perform better or if you need to solve any problem in business, it's a matter of who is the right person to work on this, to sell it to, or to collaborate with in order to get the job done. So, uh, I, bro, I can wax lyrical about connect to change as a philosophy like that. It runs deep, but it's essentially you need a network and you need to have something valuable to offer that network. And and in my case, I was the marketing geek, you know, right. it's an intro, you know, and, and, and that's something that it turns out is very valuable to a lot of people around the world right now. Um, people need marketing geeks. I want to tackle change uh, in a little bit because uh, mm. I know you deal with it day in and day out. And now that I'm hearing that it's a big part of your philosophy, I want to cover it in a little bit. But before I get there, you said you started off at, at nightlife and, and that networking. Uh, and obviously, it's polar opposite worlds in terms of what you're doing now, especially with, with True Shake. Is that something that was always your passion, you know, helping uh, social media campaigns and, and, you know, you're doing so much uh, from a philanthropy perspective from nightlife to that, 
I would love to see the bridge that how did that connect or what was your initial oh. passion for that? No, man, like, so it, it's from the beginning. Um, I, I volunteered when I was like 19 or something for a nonprofit called Parties with a Purpose, um, where you to pay entrance to the nightclubs that we collaborated with, you had to bring a book and we uh, and we gave those books away or you had to bring a teddy bear or a toy for children and we would give those toys to kids who needed it uh, who, um, who were orphaned. So that idea of like doing nightlife for good was embedded from the beginning. And actually, um, you, uh, that carried through. I mean, if you look at the networks for change, uh, people get together at night and those informal interactions are still a game changer. You know, for, for me, bringing people, bringing people together who would otherwise only meet in formal settings and bringing it into a context where people can let their guard down and just connect as human beings, whether it's on a bus to go and um, explore somewhere different, on a hike or over drinks in the evening. Um, in the evening, if you can facilitate human connection, uh, you know, that's a game changer. And, you know, I believe movements are driven by friendship. Either, firstly, people care about so many things. I mean, pretty much everyone you speak to, you know, definitely wants to use their life for some good, um, regardless of what political position or orientation you come from. We all we all want to uh, lean into good. And so what do you choose to get involved with? Very often the causes that you choose to get involved with are those where you know someone who's impacted whether it's a friend or a family member. And so if you can uh, bring people into friendship circles where people are active, that's the best way to get people involved. And then how do you get people to stay is facilitating relationships within those networks. And that always happens through authentic connection where authenticity is going above and beyond what's expected in the professional context. So for me, it's 100% aligned. I love that, man. Uh, that's beautiful. And it really uh, shows where you are today. And, and I love hearing that mindset that you have. Um, you know, in, in the last few decades, uh, and more recently, the negativity associated with internet as a whole, uh, I think has just gone up. And we live in a time now where when you hear internet, people think of, you know, social media addictions and, and, and you know, cyberbullying. And it's just so much negativity. And, and I know uh, that there is positive out there. And I know you know, if we really go back, the initial uh, objective of the internet was from a positive perspective, right? It's mm. influences in a positive way. I think what mm. you're doing with Tree Shake and even hearing you right now, you're really exemplifying the, all the positive attributes of it. Now, I know Tree Shake's primary objective is to raise awareness for those change campaigns. But do you see yourself indirectly as kind of an ambassador uh, to uh, creating that recreating, I guess, that positive correlation again with the internet and, and connecting online? Man, because I was lucky enough to get involved with social media and what I thought was the early days in like 2005, six, um, I also got to connect and be inspired by amazing individuals like Jimmy Wales from Wikipedia, who would always tell these stories about, uh, you know, when you trust people, most times they'll do the right thing. And of course, then you realize that that's slightly naive because there's people who, want, who will want to break the system, you know, when it gets to a certain point. But in those early days, that feeling of a scene where you're safe to express yourself and where there is a sense of common good and you're collaborating towards it is once you've experienced it, uh, absolutely addictive. And it felt for me at an early stage, I was like a duckling, which 
was imprinted in my head at like 24 years old. Like when I got started in the space, it was, that's what a good life feels like. That's what a good work feels like. It feels like being part of a community. It feels like working together towards something that everyone agrees is super valuable. And um, I wouldn't say that I'm an ambassador because I'm never trying to put myself front and center on these things. I'm definitely a facilitator of it because I look for people that have got much bigger platforms than me and I try and help them take the lead in that. And then by chance along the way, I've built up a bit of my own following and my bit of my own network. But um, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not intending to be an ambassador, but what I do find really heartening is that throughout the years, a lot of people have honored me by asking me to, you know, be a mentor, honored me by and asking to kind of come and give talks about how they can do the same or how their company can align their culture towards impact. Yeah, and so in the sense that anyone who's doing this space, I think has the the responsibility to um, share their ways, then I'm happy to be an ambassador for it. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of TreeShake, I want to dive into that a little bit, uh, specifically what you guys are doing, uh, the value proposition and you know, I want you to talk to me a little bit like I'm a prospect that I might be working for a nonprofit and, and I'm trying to, uh, you know, uh, raise awareness for a specific cause that I'm doing. Um, I would love to just hear your take as, as the head of TreeShake. Love it. Well, uh, look, it always starts with connect to change. I think mostly um, the, one of the biggest problems that uh, people in the impact space have is translating what they do, which is oftentimes scientific communications and evidence-based communications into something that's relatable and actionable. And so, you know, what I started TreeShake to do is to build the is to build the, um, a movement around the messaging. So I think so much of our communications tends to be content-driven, and you can find yourself in a trap of just producing more and more content that just you know doesn't gain traction. So what we're aiming to do is to provide uh, is to build dissemination networks for all of our clients where we build a base of social media volunteers to get that information out into various networks because information volunteers um, can access places that organizations can't. So for example, um, we've got people that are active in very influential chat groups, um, whether it's on you know um, closed Facebook groups or WhatsApp groups or uh, you know basically closed channels, mailing lists, et cetera, et cetera. And um, when you've got ambassadors that you know are influential um, and they provided information and encouraged and incentivized to participate in the dissemination of that information, you actually find that you have immense power to move everything from um, crowdfunding uh, to policy change, to awareness raising on issues. But if I was so, someone... so I think, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. So it's, it's building social infrastructure. So it's those three things. It is, it's storytelling always like get the simple narrative that people can understand. Number two is find the people that are going to help you distribute that story. Uh, and then number three is use technology to make that system really efficient so that all the communication feels one-on-one and people feel like they're known and they're progressing on this user journey. And do people come to TrueShake when they just have that initial idea and then you guys build it out in terms of the way you describe the content, the audience, or do they kind of come to you already midway in through a campaign? 
it's a bit of both like um most most often it's established organizations um because i haven't worked out how to make my fees that affordable yet uh working on it uh, so it's usually <laughs> uh, it's usually more established organizations that come to me and one of two things happens like usually it's we've got this idea for a movement that we want to scale um, or we've got a we've got some urgency around a policy change that needs to happen, and government leaders or whatever are meeting at a particular time, and we need like kind of digital age lobbying. Um, or we're we've been trying to do this with our with our current agency, and it's not working. And in that case, we'd never replace the agency because we're not trying to compete on content or storytelling. We just kind of go, great, we'll do the social infrastructure part, like you guys you know, produce a beautiful content and we'll plug you into the networks of people that can move that for you. Do you have a favorite project that you might've worked on or something you guys working on recently right now? I'd love to hear details on that. Oh man, too many. I, oh, man, my heart gets so invested in these things. Um, yeah, well, I, I think one that, that recently wrapped up that felt really good to work on was the uh, in wildlife trade campaign with World Animal Protection. Um, where we helped them get a million signatures to take to the G20 summit uh, of uh, world leaders who met last week. And uh, President, and uh, the, the, the reason why this is significant in 2020 is the pandemic was uh, caused, so coronavirus is a zoonotic virus and it passed over from uh, wildlife to humans, uh, presumably through the wet markets in China. And, uh, this whole wildlife trade is not only cruel uh, to all the animals involved in the industry, but it's actually a threat to uh, economies and um, security, national and international security. So it was definitely the year to do it. And uh, President Xi from China uh, made an announcement, which was huge, basically, that China is going to do everything that it can to end the illegal wildlife trade, which was a huge move diplomatically speaking. So yeah, that, that was a big one. Um, we, we worked on quite a few COVID campaigns that felt great. I mean, one in South Africa, that was great because that's where I live, um, was one where we partnered with our national football federation uh, and we announced that, uh, and, and we created it as a, mo as a moment of national coming together where we as the national team um, are, it's, it's the nation versus coronavirus. And in a part where people were, really falling to pieces about, you know, the, like the huge job losses and the devastation of lives lost, where everyone could come together around something as hopeful and positive as sport. And we shared tips and tricks on how to beat it as if they were sports players. And anyway, it was a huge amount of positivity and it was wonderful seeing sports stars getting involved in it. And um, yeah, a huge amount of media coverage around it here locally, which was great. That's amazing. And I, you mentioned that my heart is invested in so many of these things. I think that's why that's kind of necessary for any of these things to really take off. Uh, and I really love that. Oh, it's the X factor. Well, Adi, let me share a thing on that, because for me, that's that's just basic leadership. It's uh, if your heart's not in it, if you're not if you're not stoked, how are you going to pass the stoke on to someone else? And it really is, I believe, as simple as that. Like if I can inspire you, then you can inspire someone else. Um, if I can't even get that basic transaction right, we're dead in the water. Like my ability as a leader is my ability to like spoke, stoke the flames in you and enable you to be a leader in turn and stoke the flames in your network. So 
for me, that's what I've learned because I was never given leadership positions at school, just as an example, if that's any indication of leadership capability. So I've always gone, well, I'm starting from the position of I'm not a natural leader, but I can recognize natural leadership in others. So what can I do to facilitate and bring out the best in them? And so that, that's what I do. And I often do that by asking people what's meaningful and important to them and then trying to match what I'm passionate about what they're, with what they're passionate about. And then we've got a way to move forward. So love I really love the way you approach it. it, in other words. Yeah, no, I love the way you approach it. And it's funny because all the conversations I've had so far, every guest, they haven't had that traditional leadership route. But, um, you know, it's funny that you guys all have something consistent is that you've been successful in it. And that's what makes leadership so interesting to me, because there, you cannot trace mm -hmm. it back into, oh, you know what, if I didn't take this class, leadership 101, I wouldn't be where I am. But no one's taken a leadership 101 class, mm -hmm. no one has the certificates. But the way you come up, and it just goes down to passion, what you mentioned. Um, I had a guest uh, the other week that mentioned the love, I, I love my team. And he's like, that's where I started. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And, so, um, you know, I love hearing that. And, you know, you deal with change day in and day out. And you mentioned in the beginning of this episode as well. Um, I see it almost as a biological tendency almost that we stray away from it. And the biggest indicator of that is when we do make that initial change, the joy that we get. Uh, and the biggest example of that, the best example is uh, fitness. You know, when you first start mm. working out, when you get into it, you're like, wow, you know, I finally got off the couch. I got on the treadmill. Look at that. And then once you're in it, you start saying, oh, wow, this week I, I ran 20 seconds faster or today I had 50 more steps. And we have these apps now and phone thing that let, let us know that, hey, you did a little bit better today. And even look at your phone. I get a, I get a notification every Sunday that says, Artie, you spent, you know, 20% less on your phone this week than the other week. I'm like, yes. You know, we change subconsciously, I think, is rare to us. We don't we don't think it's a normal thing and our actions and, and our joy that we get from it is a proof of that. What is your take on change initially um, and for le for organizations and for individuals looking to change? What would be your advice to them if you had to sum it up? Whoa, man, you're taking it deep. Ah, so, that's um, what I love. <laughs> <laughs> um It's amazing how resistant people are to change. It's amazing. Um, and I don't get it because for me, change has always felt exciting. And uh, change, um, I've had to study it. And I think that um, you know, authors like James Clear, who wrote Atomic Habits and um, BJ, BJ Fogg, not Frog, BJ Fogg from Stanford's Persuasive Technology Lab, who's recently just launched a book and I've forgotten the name, um, are guys that are uh, taking this into tangible, practical terms. And what they tell us is the best way to achieve any big change, both of them tell us, is by breaking it down into like 100 tiny steps to get to that big change. And so I think that change, therefore, is a fitness it's a way of life it's an orientation it's saying uh you've got to have a, a vision that is big enough to inspire you but that's broken down into daily steps that are small enough that you can take them and feel a sense of progress towards it 
So uh, change for me is the fundamental nature of life. Change is the soul of a story. You don't have you don't have a story until you have something that needs to be overcome. And for me, narratives are what drive us. And if you want to know what gives us a sense of meaning in life, it's these broad narratives that we play into. So um, change is being the soul of the story for me is the juice and the essence of life. And if we can then start with a vision of what needs to be different, and that's where leadership is also crucially important. And that that vision doesn't need to be our own, by the way. I'm, I'm a big believer in followership also. Find someone who's got a credible vision that you can buy into um, and then take steps towards doing it and break it down into tangible basics. Uh, that's why behavioral science is so important in what we do as marketers also and as business owners, like break it down into actionability. And, and, and at the end of the day, then it's what you can do. I'm, I'm really going on and on. And no, on. no, I, I want to, you, you spoke yeah, about yeah, no, followership. Go, 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 yeah. No, you're fine. Um, yeah. You spoke about followership. I want you to spend a little yeah. time on that because I think when people hear leadership, naturally so, I don't blame them. They think I have to do this. I have to come up with ideas. I have to do all of this. And um, I see so many examples of people not taking advantage in a good way of the team that is at their disposal. You hired a team to, to work with you, yet you still sleep at night saying, I need to do this. But I think followership is, is an antidote to that. So I would love to hear a little bit more details on that. Oh, man. Um, your followership is the idea that uh, it's not only about leadership. Like followers have a responsibility too. In the same way as voters have a responsibility and citizens have a responsibility, you've got to um, you, you've got to lead up, so to speak. So um, you have a responsibility to hold your leader to account. You have a responsibility to um, uh, to make sure that there is integrity within the group. So um, don't be a blind follower, um, but to the extent that the leader sets the vision. Um, do what you can to understand the vision and be part of a crew of people that are working towards that. Um, hold the leader to account. Hold your compatriots to account. Do what you can to keep the group together. All of that is work and it's responsibility. And for many people, that's their happy space. And many people will find their uh, their ultimate leadership in, in being a good follower. And a lot of people like me will find their ultimate leadership in being a good follower, so so it's um, so it works paradoxically. So, for example, for me, um, the World Economic Forum invited me to be part of a network called the Young Global Leaders a few years ago, and I got invited to a network of extraordinary people. Like I, I don't know another network like this. Um, it's the people that you'll read about in the news every day, and you know the the, the group meets in platforms like uh, Davos every year. And it's people with real levers on change in the world. And I felt so out of my depth uh, in this community. Uh, felt extremely privileged and happy to be a part of it. But also there's only 100 people around the world that are chosen every year for it. Wow. And I felt like, I felt like an imposter. Um, and I felt like I needed to do everything that I could to earn my place. And that was turned out to be such a blessing because I they they showed me people that I could connect to to understand. So, for example, uh, the founder of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, introduced me to the idea of the fourth industrial revolution. I worked to understand the concept. I bought into the concept. 
And then I brought, I kind of imported that concept to South Africa and we ran a movement called Internet for All here that ended up connecting millions of people in rural areas to the internet that weren't there. But I used his vision um, and I used his languaging and I used a lot of the evidence that they provided to make my case instead of going, I'm Dave and you should listen to me. No, uh, that's not going to work. That's not going to get me meetings with the kind of people that can drive major levers. So, and, and I've done that with a few other people. My mentor, Lewis Pugh, is the UN patron of the oceans, phenomenal guy. I followed his lead on policy decisions. Um, you know, he says, this is important that we protect, you know, the Ross Sea. I've gone, I, I, captain, you know, I'm here, I'm going to mobilize the team, you know, and, we, and we're going to make this happen for you. So, yeah, I found my leadership in being a good follower. And I know that there's people in my team who find their leadership in being, who, who, who in being good followers discover their leadership. Sorry, that's the right way to say it. No. Um, does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense. I haven't really sense. spoken about that match before. No, yeah. man, that makes perfect sense. I'm honestly fascinated how, for you, ego uh, takes a back seat. And I can see the way that you think um, and the way you approach everything uh, is you, when someone else in the World Economic Forum, like the head of them is having an idea, you're not telling yourself, well, you know, well, I can think of something better or I need to do this. You just immediately go, hey, you know what? He's doing it better. I'm going to just apply what he's doing. And I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. though it's so simple, man, it's so you see it so rarely around for leaders to really, you know, drop their guard, you know, completely let go of that ego and understand yeah. that leadership is, is a privilege and that you're there for service. And again, all this lingo mm. is so simple and I'm not, you know, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. It's, it's things we hear all the time, but it shows to me how rare it is because the idea and the execution are so far away and the people that have mm -hmm. that idea and that, the people that executed uh, those two pa uh, parties are so different in terms of how many, but I love all of that, man. And I was, it's funny. I love that you mentioned world economic forum. Cause I was going to ask you about that. You didn't mention that as one of your hats that you wear. See, there you go. Another proof that your ego for you takes a back seat. I asked you what you do. Nah, I only do tree shape do so many other things <laughs> well that that kind of feeds me man like oh man that's a phenomenal thing yeah i mean like i, I I'm, I'm deeply involved there. actually i served on an advisory board there and uh, that young global leaders thing that i was invited to is amazing they i felt really validated they invited me to join the advisory board so i got really stuck in and oh that was that what is do you a do some of the things in the advisory board what are some of the work that you guys do well, I, I've, I've now stepped down. I mean, it's you've got a five. Um, uh, I had a five-year track with them, mm -hmm. and I've now kind of graduated, so to speak. Um, no, well, look, the World Economic Forum is it's it's a network of initially it was world leaders, and and I, and I think they had like the CEOs of the largest companies, and they've expanded it uh, to include uh, social entrepreneurs, also people like me who are aiming to make a difference, as well as young and up-and-coming uh, kind of thought leaders or celebrities that can use their voice for a difference and um, but their, their insight there is when you get when you get the right people in the room together things change and that is my lived experience not just with them but in life in general and right now i mean they've got a couple of they've, they've it's it's well worth if anyone hasn't checked out the world economic forum it's very well worthwhile looking at it they truly are an agenda setting organization but i'm um i'm involved and inspired in two initiatives of theirs right now uh, or, or or three actually as of this afternoon um one is uh, the great reset which is the latest agenda setting conversation which was launched um amidst the pandemic and which is surprising to me 
very controversial. People think of it as, uh, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, among uh, conservatives that that's seen as a kind of radical leftist agenda. And it's, it really isn't. It's basically, it's about creating, uh, it, it's about harnessing the available technology mm-hmm. uh, to create an economy that's good for the world, that creates sustainable, inclusive growth. Um, and it necessarily does mean moving away from protected industries that are, um, you know, polluting our planet and uh, and embracing a lot of the new technologies, the greener technologies that are smarter and more networked. But it's, it's very much a, a vision for a more globally networked world rather than a world with more closed borders, mm-hmm. more parochial worldviews, less tech. And so uh, the Great Reset is one that inspires me. Another one is the uh, Campaign for Nature, which is a hugely ambitious campaign to set aside 30% of the planet to be pristine, to be completely untouched uh, and, that, and protected. And that uh, is actually more practical than you would think. So, for example, 90% of our ocean, 90% of large fish have been fished out of our oceans. Um, setting aside 30% of our oceans for protection allows areas in which fish can replenish. And that will actually sustain the fisheries a lot longer. Um, but we need boundaries and uh, if we're going to do that. Uh, South Africa has a, a, you know, an area called the Kruger National Park, uh, which was an area that was set aside for conservation a couple of hundred years ago, just over 100 years ago, I think. And if we didn't have that, we wouldn't have... Uh, the economy that we do, you know, it's um, it's been a huge driver of tourism for us, which is, I think, our, our largest national industry, just as an example. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, it's it's big, bold, inspiring initiatives. And the third one that as of this afternoon, I've, I've decided to volunteer uh, and get involved in is one around the circular economy, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you, you'll know about it, but it's uh, any output basically it's a zero waste economy that the output of any product the waste output of any product and um, can be reused into the creation of the product again without any byproduct of it so without creating more pollution and more waste i love those initiatives the one that stood out to me was uh, i was recently reading about uh in japan uh the, the fish market they have the famous one in, in tokyo uh, the fishermen mm-hmm. the tuna that they're bringing in is so low compared to what it was yeah um and obviously the love from sushi globally now and and everything i've been hearing that th- there's just less fish so Right off the bat, I heard about that initiative, and I'm I'm going to look it up after this. Um, and hearing something like 30% of that being conserved is uh, is amazing, man. I really love all of that. Yeah, we, yeah, we can do it, man. It's a kind of thing that because a lot of people feel despair that we that our planet is heading into inevitable climate change and inevitable inevitable species collapse, and um, it doesn't have to be the case. There are there are people with bold clear uh, evidence-based policy recommendations they're making it they're backed by evidence but what they need is that they need the support of citizens mm-hmm. voters mobilizers people like you and me uh, to back and buy into those visions and, and and that i mean that really is it i mean that's kind of it's saying what are the biggest boldest ideas that i can buy into and how does what i'm doing uh, as an individual entrepreneur, as, as an individual leader, form part of those bigger, bolder visions. 
Um, and it could be anything, yeah. You know, just uh, it, it could be, you know, if, if it's gender-based violence, that's mm -hmm. your issue. You know, find the biggest, boldest initiative that you can find around that and go, what is the local implementation of that? What does it look like for me? You know, whatever your mm -hmm. issue is, because there's many, you know. Um, so... Do you yeah, find yourself having to fight like political barriers? Because some of these things, I mean, I'm, I'm from the States, so we politicize everything here, unfortunately. Um, and even some of the stuff that is evidence-based that the change is just going to help a, a set of people or a set of animals, whatever the case may be. Do you find yourself having to get involved in any of those political conversations? All the time, man. All <laughs> the time. Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not just the US that's politicizing things. I mean, you guys are coming out of an interesting time um, and probably going into another interesting time yes. politically. Um, the, 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 the head of communications from the United Nations was, I, I heard, I've just forgotten her name, but she was speaking on a podcast about the infodemic um, that the US has faced. And the infodemic being essentially uh, the World Health Organization put out clear recommendations and guidelines, for example, on masks. And there was active disinformation and misinformation. Um, and a, a lot of it wasn't only spread with uh, malicious intent, but there was a lot of people who felt insecure about the situation and they did their own research. Uh, and their research being desktop research, given that they're not professional researchers, they're not looking at primary data, led them onto, uh, onto blogs and social media profiles that were making up rubbish, essentially. Wow. And um, that has scaled and it's ended up costing hundreds of thousands of lives. And that's, unfortunately, that's, where you are in that, like what set of facts you buy into has unfortunately become uh, politicized. And that was what she was saying. We need to build this social infrastructure of people that are getting information from source. And you need, there's a certain number. It's going to be for, it's typically like 20% of a network. So in the US, it would probably be, um, I don't know. I'm sort of making like, yeah. uh, sorry, I haven't got your population figures top of mind, but say if you have like, 10 or 20 million people mm -hmm. who are actively involved in um, uh, actively combating as information mm -hmm. volunteers, actively combating disinformation. But you have to you have to have direct access to a credible source like the WHO or something like that. And when and you need to be trained, but whenever disinformation pops up in your network, you can do your bit to counter that disinformation and just kind of engage with it. Um, I think that teaching people how to do that kindly and teaching people how to do that in a way that doesn't alienate their loved ones, um, I think will make a huge difference. I think the human conversation side of things. But because... what's been so tough, sorry, man, cut you off, but what's yeah. been so tough yeah. is uh, you mentioned, you know, credible sources. There's mm. a conversation right now here in the States and I'm sure around the world. Oh, well, who's, who says the World Health Organization is credible? I have an article yeah. from some random yeah. ass person saying the World Health Organization is corrupt and they're fake news. And and now the yeah. internet, because of the magnitude of it, someone can just go on Facebook, put a link, um, and the, the site is, is is atrocious. But there's an article yeah. written about how what they're talking about, their point, is right. And now I'm sitting here and we're arguing facts. And that is driving yeah. me fucking crazy man. crazy yeah. yeah because you're saying hey Artie, i have you know the who said x y and z and you need to wear masks and i'll tell you 
well, uh, Dave, I have uh, here's Fox News that tells me that, no, you don't need it. And the vice president of the World Health Organization is corrupt. So F your source. And I'm what I'm saying is correct. And you can't ever have you can't have a dialogue there. It's 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 that's how polarized it's become yeah. here. And unfortunately, it's led us to yeah. be on these two islands over here. And mm. I guess uh, I, if I had to turn this into a question, what is the way to reinvite the dialogue to to recreate it? And yeah. um, just just I guess get to a point where it, Di- yeah, yeah. dialogue is not going to yeah as you said dialogue is not going it, to it's not going to solve. Anything. I think that you're going to have to forge new paths because people are basically, as you say, I I think the big thing now, the trick is, I mean, people have chosen their sides. I mean, you're in a form of (laughs) informational civil war. Um, You know, people have, you know, essentially it's the whole world is watching, by the way. And and we're all picking up on it. And I I don't think it's great for America's reputation. Um, But um, I think that it's, uh, I think that it's take like just using a Klaus Schwab World Economic Forum. Take he's he's brought together people who have who come from very different values, and he said something a few years ago that sat with me at a, a, a at a leadership net at a closed leadership forum that I was at with him, where he said you've got to focus on shared interests, not on shared values. So you've got to focus on things like jobs. You've got to focus on things like. Uh, like the environment and what you'll find is it's oftentimes the language itself that's politically charged um not necessarily the way forward so you know if you take like medicare for all it's um sometimes you know it's the labels that we put on things Mm -hmm. um rather than the outcome you know like i don't think anyone wants to be left outside of the medicare system um but it's uh, you know it's uh, i but i'm speaking as an outsider and i'm like Sorry if that's no, but that's what we need. We need that kind of perspective. Yeah, that's the first time I'm hearing it. Yeah. So I, I, you know, you're mentioning using different language. That stands out to me because I've kind of had a stalemate over here, um, and I love dialogue, and I love dialogue with people that don't yeah. agree with me. Um, and I remember. So I've got a question. Yeah, I've, I've got a question for you. Do you love or do you know or love anyone that you would say is like on the disinformation side, like actively in like fact denial? I definitely have people you know, in my family, um, and even family friends that I've loved my whole life that are on that disinformation side, they're on the side that they're just believing what their political party is telling them. And their version of doing my own research is you Google what you believe in, and then (laughs) click on the first three links. And then they use that information to then come to us. And majority of those links now with the with the and I'll just say what the conservative party has done well, even though I don't agree with it is they have unified in the fact that whatever information is coming out from the other side, whether it's just a democratic or whether it's a fact, for example, you know, global warming or um, transgender issues that we have here or, you know, mm. um, the gay community and, and the populate and the community's reaction to them, whatever the case may be, they immediately label that as that is false. Where you're getting that information yeah. from is false and they don't even begin to look into it. And global warming uh, I'm embarrassed to say as an American that we have a, a set of people that don't want to believe that it's the humans are affecting it. And it's ridiculous with the overwhelming amount of information. Yeah. They know they can't tackle it one by one. So what they do instead is they say, well, you know what? You're coming from this side and we know this side is just fake. So we're not going to even yeah. entertain it. And people that have now gone to that side, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It's very hard for me to say that 
I feel the same about them because it's not, and what I was going to get to is it's not the same as me having a political debate. And that was the case in the past, right? Other past presidencies and just overall in the past, if there was a president in the office that I didn't agree with, I was able to have a dialogue, a, a debate with a family member or a close friend. Yeah. And we would be okay because at some point if I said, hey, you know, X, Y, and Z is the case from this article, that other person would agree. But we are now at a point where I will cite an article from the World Health Organization or World Economic Forum. Yeah, they'll go like fake news. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. Because, and they'll okay. say, well, I have my news here. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then like their news is like some site that's flagged as like, <laughs> anyway, we've seen it. So what came to mind when you were speaking? Like, um, tell me what you think about this. I, I was thinking like, and so I, I, I've got I've got an interesting perspective on this. I was uh, I was invited to moderate an ultra right wing chat set of chat groups mm-hmm. over lockdown, and I was like, "Why would you think that I'm the guy for that?" <laughs> <laughs> and I um, and I said, "No, thank you," but I was invited to it anyway, and I and I decided to stay in because I thought this will be fascinating. And a lot of the members in the group were from the US, and it, I was shown because a lot of what they were saying was highly politically incorrect. And it's the kind of stuff that you couldn't say in social media. And I was just like a voyeur, just having my mind blown every day. Um, and what I got was this, these guys um, care about different things, but they do care. So they care about like, so they're very threatened. Like when I talk about climate change, they don't hear climate change. They hear my, resources business that has been in my family for two generations is going to be taken out by your radical agenda. Mm. Um, you know, when I talk about, um, you know, like gender equality or and, and even that, I mean, by the way, that's like thinking like, all right, liberals typically hate clean energy or maybe not necessarily, but clean energy, <laughs> like, um, right. you know, Dems love, uh, maybe Republicans don't love as much, but I know it's huge broadly. But by and large, they're forging away and they're freaking changing the game. And I was just thinking, like, can we can we uh, allow a space where I can get I can do my thing without you having to agree with me about everything um, and percent with what they're saying? That just occurred to me now, by the way, but it feels profound. I mean, <laughs> what? Yeah. No, I love your perspective. And it's it's uh, very unique to me because you don't live here. So I love hearing it. And and uh, I don't agree with anything in the left side either. I think the left has almost in a way have got has gotten worse because they feel to me, this is a, a, a natural human reaction. You know, you have someone get in on their agenda that is all false and, and extreme. The left in the last four years has now reacted to that. So I do find it funny when people say, well, you know, the left has gone crazy now and what has gone into them. I'm like, are you kidding me? What do you mean what's gotten into them? When Trump got yeah. elected in, this was their A reaction. They're saying, you want to beat us. You want you just beat us with crazy? Oh, we'll show you crazy. We'll we'll we won't let anyone speak at college campuses. We're gonna you know cut off and they're going against basic American mm. principles like the freedom of speech. The left is saying, "Fuck it, fuck yeah. the freedom of speech." If you don't agree with me, we're not going to even let you talk. So they're equally has gotten right. so the bad. Middle, someone like the me, I count myself. Like the, the middle, like finds the extremes alienating, and the extremes think that the middle are complete wimps. <laughs> Oh, wimps. The, the middle has become no man's land. You know, in a, a direct example to World War One, I, I am legit in no man's land right now. And I, I'm I'm hated oh, by both dude, sides. Oh, dude, no man's uh, land is where it, people die, right? 
<laughs> exactly. I'm dying over here because the right doesn't like me and the left doesn't like me. When I have conversations with people, they love oh, to categorize me. And I think enough, this is true for America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guarantee you people are listening to this right now. They're going to immediately want to categorize you, right? Oh, he's, oh, he, environment. Oh my God. He's a lefty. <laughs> but here I'm we in go. business. Uh, here we yeah, go. Yeah, and, creating jobs. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about yeah. jobs. No, no, no. He's he's conservative now. So no, you're this is an ongoing thing and your perspective, and I, I'm really excited for people to hear your perspective because I genuinely believe we have been starved of an outside perspective into what is going on here. And the way you position it, what I love the most is the verbiage that we use. Because even myself, I catch myself all the time. The way I say things politically, I, in a way, subconsciously want them to wholeheartedly agree with me. And then I move on into opening up. But And I kind of blame the culture here now that it's become so polarized that it's got me to this level. But you're, I hope I can alleviate my terminology a little bit and 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 try to figure right. out different kinds of phrasing you're not alone uh, in this believe to me like for point. many people in the world myself included uh, the whole world kind of in my opinion sees the, like u.s politics as like grand theater like we all feel involved it's like we're having the same fight <laughs> about u.s politics and our families <laughs> i wish i was in the audience and not on the stage <laughs> in the middle of this production <laughs> But here we are. Uh, Dave, uh, one of the last things I wanted to finish this off with is um, public speaking. Uh, I've watched all your TED, TED Talks. Um, I love public speaking. Um, and I think it's very hard. People think some people think it's easy to do. Uh, but I guess I'm asking personally, I'm going to be selfish about this. I'm trying to become a public speaker. And of course, this is the year I try to get into it where everything is canceled. It's like you can show up anywhere. Yes. Yeah. But someone like me that is trying to get into public speaking, do you have any yes. advice? Uh, what has worked Much. for you? Bro, like um, speaking is the best. Eh? Wow. It's so rewarding. Um, it's, so firstly, I'm, I'm an awkward speaker. I always have been. I sit on stage and I think live. So I'm full of ums and I'm really not slick. And that's not ideal, but I've had times when I'm definitely among, in my country, the most booked speakers, and I've applied my craft around the world. And I'm just saying that because it's unusual that someone who's so awkward on stage would get so booked. And my thing is because there's not just one way. So uh, for me, my way wasn't about being the slickest. It's applying that connect to change thing. So for me, uh, it was always, and it has always been about, um, first of all, um, realistically like number one is own an own an issue that um that's a category that people are booking so so that's the first thing first thing is um sell what people are buying like don't choose such a niche subject that no one's looking for it so how people book talks is typically they they start with the category not with the speaker so they go we need a speaker on um renewable energy we need a speaker on um you know business automation we need a speaker on disruption whatever the, the the term is and then you go who's good that's how that's how talks are booked um so you have to you have to be offering a category so for now for example story is my category story and narrative is um the one that's big for me and the other the other category for me is um trends so uh then once you've got that category 
you might go, well, you know, my message is different to everyone else's message. And that that's important and true. And it must be, and you must bring yourself in your own experience. But, you know, I treat that as a kind of Trojan horse, you know, let them buy the category. And then you've just got to show up professionally because for event organizers, what they're looking for is someone who's first and foremost reliable, like that you're going to show up on time, that you're not going to uh, embarrass them, that you are going to know what you're talking about. So you, having a professional page that's dedicated, that says I'm a speaker, so you have to declare I'm a speaker. Um, and you should have like a good photo and you should have other videos. Having testimonies on your site uh, really shows that you've done the work. So um, in the beginning, I gave a bunch of free and or cheap talks just so that I could get my initial testimonies in. And then once you've got, once you've got that, you've got your topic, um, you've got your speakers page, um, you've been giving a few talks so that you can get the ball rolling and build your confidence. Then it's just ensuring really that that people have a good time because people will like this is a, some some clever person said this, but people will forget what you tell them, but you'll, they'll never forget how you make them feel. And that actually is my secret weapon because I'm a complete bozo, but I make people laugh. Um, I surprise them with one or two compelling insights and I try and make them feel and get them involved in some way. And um, if, if you do that, what is amazing is that people remember you for years. And so the more talks you give, the more talks you get. So in my case, I hustled full on for like, three years that's all I did is that I just pushed my speaking career nothing else I didn't like I was I had to do a, I had to do like I was when I was uh, teaching um the UCT business school I was teaching and pushing the teaching the, the speaking but like 70 percent of my time was doing blogging uh social media uh LinkedIn by the way is amazing for this for building profile uh in speaking um mm -hmm. And there's a direct correlation between how much social media you do on thought leadership and how much inbound connection you get. I was just hustling. Those three years set me up for the subsequent, like let's call it nine years or whatever, um, because I haven't had to push at all since then. I get people popping in like from years ago, like, oh, we're looking for a social media speaker. Like I don't even have to have the topic on my page. Like, yeah, you're amazing on that. So I'm getting booked on topics that I was pushing like, nine years ago um and that and now it just flows like you know i get talk requests in a couple of times every week and now all of them when they come in there's not even a question that it's paid um it used to be speak for free wow. anyway and, that, and that's it like i'm not saying that's not a boat by the way it's just saying mm -hmm. like put it in the, yard in the beginning yeah like you've got to grind in the beginning because everyone wants to be a speaker and um because it's great once you're rolling it's mm -hmm. fun you get treated like a special person. You get to travel around the right. world and get Sounds paid awesome. for it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's hustle in the beginning, straight up. And it's, so it's not about how slick you are, in my mm -hmm. opinion. It's like, you've got to be smart, but you are, you've got to hustle your ass off. You've got to own a topic. And then you just got to do the grind. Yeah. yeah man. Uh, thank you for that, man. I'm, I'm super grateful for that advice. I'm super grateful uh, for this conversation for, to met you. You've in this we're almost an hour in, um, and I gotta say, man, I'm, I'm being super genuine. 
when I say this, uh, I've, you've opened up my eyes in, in a lot of different ways uh, in just under an hour. Um, and I think uh, your perspective is super intriguing to me. And uh, it's already making me think um, politically. Oh, that, that little talk that we had uh, is already making me think. And uh, the advice for your public speaking, I'm going to take it to heart. And I'm going to uh, try to make sure I grind it out and, and focus on that specific topic, um, as you mentioned. But uh, thank you, man. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I I hope you enjoyed that episode and I really, really appreciate your support. If you want to learn more, please visit leadershipev.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me at rdg at leadershipev.com. That's A-R-D-I-G at leadershipev.com. Thank you and see you soon. And just ran a long distance. My girlfriend told me all I needed was persistence. Opportunity come one time, so don't miss it. I listen.